Hey, dear listener, Anthony here. Before we hop into the show, I wanted to let you know about an incredible new resource we just released, The Five Rules of Investing. Dan and I are huge advocates of modeling the behaviors of the people who have done what you hope to do. And who better to model when it comes to investing than legendary investors like Warren Buffett, Howard Marks, and Ray Dalio? This free ebook breaks down the simple time-tested strategies of billionaire real estate investors that you can use to take your investing to the next level. So head over to InvictusMultifamily.com and grab your ebook today. All right, now let's hop into the show. Hello and welcome to Multifamily Investing Made Simple, the podcast that's all about taking the complexity out of real estate investing so that you, yes, you at home listening to this right now, can take action today. I'm your host, Anthony Vecino of Invictus Capital, joined by Dan, let's make this quick, Kruger, which is apropos because this is an under 10 minute episode. So Dan, let's make it quick. Quick. The other day I was talking with an investor that had the question, why when I'm looking at all of these pro forma, these uh, marketing packages for these syndications, why is it that the IRR always seems to, to peak in years five and seven or five through seven, not like five and then skip six and then seven, like usually somewhere in years five to seven, you see the IRR kind of go plateau and then start ticking back down. So why is that? What's up with that? What's up with that? Um, that? Do you know? Oh, yeah. That was a really bad SNL skit. I was trying to remember where that. Where did that come from? I don't know, but it should never be uttered again. That came out of my I apologize for everybody. (laughs) Um, Anyways, why does IRR peak? Now, year five to seven, that's going to vary depending on the type of deal. But you're almost always going to have some kind of peak of the bell curve or not really bell curve, but there's a bit of a peak on the uh, the curve. IRR. Yeah, we'll a call it curve. curve. Not a bell curve. It's, it's curvy. A curve. It's kind of a bell curve. It kind of is a bell um, curve. <laughs> anyways, first off, what the heck's IRR? Internal rate of return, IRR. That is um, ah, a close-up. <laughs> internal rate of return. The internal rate of return is effectively looking at the average annual rate of return, except it's accounting for the time value of money, meaning the sooner you're getting money back, the higher that internal rate of return metric is going to be. So uh, that's important to understand. You have to understand that concept that the time value of money is at play here. Now, the reason that we see the IRR peak and then start to kind of taper off is what you're doing in uh, internal rate of return calculations is you're actually discounting uh, future cash flows to get the present value. And what internal rate of return technically is without getting too geeky on you, it's it's the discount rate at which the net present value of future cash flows is zero. So what the heck does that mean? What that, does that mean? That means <laughs> <laughs> that if you wanted to calculate the present value of all the future cash flows you're going to receive, uh, let's just say 22% is your IRR. That's the discount rate that's going to make that present value zero and make you break even basically. So what, what I'm trying to say here is that as time goes, most of the deals that people are looking at are going to be value-add deals. And so there's going to be some sort of kind of initial thrust at the beginning, whether it's uh, you know upgrading units to, to drive higher income or bring the expenses down. And usually within the first couple of years, 
any operator who's coming in and doing a thing, they're going to have done the thing. And at that point, they've just got kind of organic rent growth into the out years. And that's not going to be that substantial. And so what they're going to be seeing is their rent growth might be three, four, five, six percent in the out years. But the discount rate for uh, those future cash flows is uh, substantially more than that. And so the internal rate of return is going to start to tick down. And what that basically means is that the incremental return on your money is actually getting less and less efficient after a certain point. So that peak of the curve on the IRR um, spectrum, basically, if you're looking at one year, two year, three or four, five, all the way up to 10, if you're looking at all those possible hold periods, and you're noticing that the IRR peaks around year four or five, that's actually kind of telling you that that's probably the most efficient spot to take those chips off the table and move somewhere else. Now, the, the thing, there's a couple of things I'll point out here is that when the IRR starts to drop, it's not dropping off of a cliff. It's starting to tick down relatively slowly. You know, so it might be like year five, we're hitting a 20% IRR. It's not like in year six, it's suddenly going to be 15%. It's not just going to like plummet. It's going to go down to like 19.7 and 19.5. It's going to be, it's going to be a slow grind. And so when you're looking at it and you're like, if you're going to buy and hold an asset for life, like and you're trying to think of like maximizing your return. Well, I mean, if you want to maximize the percent return, yeah, sell in year five, but like continuing to hold isn't necessarily a bad idea either, depending on your goal. Now I answered this question the other day in a seminar and the question that somebody asked me, I'm going to pose it to you now is what is the discount rate? What discount rate? The discount rate. In general? Yeah. How much you make in the market investing? So what is that? It's unique yeah. to so, every, every individual. There's standards out there, <laughs> 7 8%. It's kind of a, yep. a standard discount rate when you're discounting cash flows. But it's unique because the, the rate I can get in the market is a lot different than my mom could get. So, so, so. this is, yeah, this is really interesting. It, it is relative. So I just read the uh, IRR viewpoint annual uh, and by report. By the way, the IRR viewpoint report is in no way related to internal rate return. It's in t- internal, it's like Integra, Integra Realty or something Realty, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not at all so, but in there, <laughs> But in there, they do have a chart of different discount rates for different markets and different asset classes. And in Minneapolis, and this is the answer that I gave, was that it's usually somewhere between 6 and 8%. And that's like, what could you go out it's there and realistically get? It's a textbook figure. Yeah, yeah, textbook. In, in the IRR report, 6.05% in Minneapolis. I was like, oh, okay, so that's pretty dead on. What's interesting, here's an interesting correlation that you could think about, is the preferred return that a lot of operators are offering on their deal is going to very closely correspond with whatever that discount rate is. Mm. So it's pretty much saying, like, the preferred return is saying if it's 7%, hey, you as the LP or the, the passive investor is entitled to receiving a 7% return on your, your cash before we take any money. Which is a way of saying, like, that is the, the market expectation of what a, like, you could get somewhere else. And therefore, that's the minimum barrier that we need to hit before we can take more. Makes sense. And then interesting little correlation. Yeah. So anyways, getting into the weeds. This is kind of a weedy episode. Um, but hopefully it maybe helped answer a question about, you know, why are our peaks? Maybe what discount rate is, how it relates to anything. So if it didn't help you at all, if you're more confused than ever, then I encourage you to go pick up the book, Passive Investing Made Simple, where we dive into it in more detail and start to break it down a little bit more clearly, hopefully, maybe there's some charts and some graphs and things that maybe help it uh, make sense a little bit more. 
So that's going to do it for us, guys. <laughs> I appreciate you. Dan's over here dancing with the book. Um, and I do want to point out that earlier uh, for our podcast guest, when Dan suddenly went, ooh, my close-up, I had changed the camera angle. And so now he, he was uh, close-up. So if you want to see Dan's close-up, go to YouTube, check out Multifamily Investing Made Simple, where you can see all of these podcast episodes in the flesh. You can watch our pasty selves talking on camera. I highly recommend you go subscribe to the channel. And if you don't, then that's fine too. Okay. So that's going to do it for us, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Multifamily Investing Made Simple. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a massive favor? Head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Your feedback, it means the world to us as it helps us grow and spread the word about multifamily investing. And don't forget, sharing is caring. So fire this episode over to any friends or family who you think could benefit from learning all about multifamily investing. Thanks, guys. We appreciate every single one of you, and we'll see you on the next show.